Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. We're going to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I'll be focusing on verses 11 through 13, but we're going to start from the beginning of the chapter for the reading. So 2 Corinthians chapter 6 at verse 1. This is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true, and working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, at the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time, behold, now is the day of salvation, giving no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited, but in everything commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers and yet true, As unknown yet well known, as dying yet behold we live, as punished yet not put to death, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things. Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is opened wide. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now in a like exchange I speak As to children, open wide to us also. This is the word of the Lord. may be seated. Let's pray before we go into this passage. Father, we pray that you would help us, that you would illumine our minds. Father, that you would help me to preach your word in spirit and in truth, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, I pray that uh, all the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're on the verge of making an important decision for Trinity Presbyterian Church. Uh, We're deciding who we will have as our governing authority what part of the visible church we will closely align with in order to accomplish work for God's kingdom. There's a lot of water under the bridge um, as we come to make this decision that we'll make in the congregational meeting. There's a lot of water under the bridge, years of talk within the session. Um, Going back Going back to when when I was first here eight years ago, the session has made it a a part of just assessing the denomination that we are currently in. Um, Serious consideration has happened in the last few years where we've uh, begun determining um, more uh, precisely what we would do and 
And certainly in the last couple of years, the uh, Presbyterian Church in America has had uh, difficult and um, I would say heretical teaching within her. And so, um, not as a whole, but certainly within her, that has appeared. And we have outlined those things for you in congregational meetings. We've had work at Calvary Presbytery sending up overtures on sexuality and other topics over the um, past couple of years. And that work, in a sense, has been costly, but it's a cost that no one in Trinity or very few in Trinity outside the session have really seen because it happens at Presbytery meetings um, where our full congregation is not um, gathered. There's been a lot of work done at General Assembly as well that was also costly and put um, me in the middle of uh, certain uh, warfare going on in the PCA. Um, There was the informal joining the work of Evangel Presbytery, at least in an exploratory session, and then a, a formation of a book of church order, and that work is still going on and is, has been, I've spent maybe hundreds of hours on that task. Um, two congregational meetings when we as a session voiced our recommendations to leave the PCA and to join with Evangel Presbytery. Many, many private conversations to answer people's questions. Time spent in prayer and fasting, and now... Today, it comes down to a congregational vote. God's will for me, God's will for you, God's will for our church will come down to a vote. We're casting lots like that first uh, when, when Judas was replaced by Matthias, right? It's wildly exciting in a way, isn't it? Um, to me, it is. Some of you are excited about the potential change. Some of you are apprehensive about the potential change. Some have already left the church because of our decision to set the question before the congregation. Some are considering leaving the church depending on what is decided today, depending on what you decide today. As we expressed before in the congregational meetings, Michael and I will have hard decisions to make. If, if the recommendation of the session to leave the PCA and join Evangel is not affirmed by your congregational vote. And so I've been praying that we will be able to accept God's will um, in this matter. After being uh, married and having kids, I don't think there's been a more momentous decision that I've been a part of, right? But with marriage and with kids, I, to a certain extent, had a choice. I don't even get a vote in this one. (laughs) I just moderate. I make sure the meeting goes well. And so... What do I preach on an occasion like this? Do I go theological and preach the passage when the apostles chose Judas' replacement by casting lots? Or do I preach on God's will enacted through these kinds of means as a concept? Do I go ecclesiological and rehash some of the sins and failures of the PCA in her courts? Do I go inspirational and speak of the day of small things, right? Well, I've not chosen any of those routes, but but rather have chosen to focus on these few verses from the Apostle Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth. I think it's safe to say this about the Apostle Paul. 
and particularly about his second letter to the church in Corinth. It's one of the most intensely personal expressions in all of Scripture. If it's been a while since you've read 2 Corinthians, then you don't have it in your head and in your blood, but if you read through it, it's intensely personal how he's going after that church. Much of the Apostle Paul comes through, but we, we can't forget that this letter is inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? So, yeah, much of the Apostle Paul comes through, and it's very emotional. I would say verging on manipulative, but it's inspired manipulation. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, primarily. And that means that there is nothing inappropriate about the personal nature of this letter by Paul. There are times in his writing that the Apostle Paul uses ad hominem arguments. And, and other times when it seems that he is uh, speaking out of both sides of his mouth. There are other times when he says, I speak as a fool. Right? How is that godly for an apostle to speak like he's a fool or to speak foolishness? Right? And then there are other times it just seems he's manipulating them emotionally with his choice words. But again... It's all the Holy Spirit, and it's all inspired. These are eternal truths, though intensely personal. The passage we're looking at this morning is one of those passages where we might uh, be tempted to think that the Apostle Paul went a bit too emotional and left behind cool, logical, Presbyterian thought. Right? Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is opened wide. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now, in a like exchange, I speak, to, I speak as to children, open wide to us. Can you imagine any, presby- any presbyter, any pastor, any general assembly officer making an argument like that? What the Apostle Paul is making here, he's essentially saying, we've loved you, but you haven't loved us. We've loved you. Respond in kind. Respond in the same manner. Can you imagine that? That man would be perhaps pulled off the mic. Um, But but get this, this is not the only way that he speaks like this in the letter. I'm going to go through some of the things he says, and by the end of it, your jaw will hit the floor. Or if it doesn't, you're not listening to me. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 2.4 For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears. I mean, already, right? He's gone beyond what, what a Presbyterian would ever say. You can't mention tears, man. That is to manipulate, right? He's already pouring out his heart and opening up, um, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not so that you would be made sorrowful, but that you might know the love which I especially have for you. So that you might know my love. That's why, that's why I wrote to you. And then 2 Corinthians 7, 2, he says, Make room for us in your hearts. We wronged no one. We corrupted no one. We took advantage of no one. Getting a little self-defensive here, right? He's, he's saying, we, did, we haven't done anything wrong. We, we, we did, didn't corrupt any of you, so make room in your hearts for us. Why so cold? 
Next, next one is 2 Corinthians 7, 8, and 9. And though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that that letter caused you sorrow, though only for a little while, I now rejoice that you were made sorrowful, but that you were, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. So again, is, is Paul happy that he made them sorrowful, or is he not happy that he made them sorrowful, or what's going on here? He's trying to get at a kind of sorrow, right? And then look at all of chapter 10. I mean, listen to this. Now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold towards you when absent. You know, they've, they've hit him on this previously. And he's being sarcastic here. I ask that when I am present, I need not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. You are looking at things as they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself that, it, that he is Christ, let him consider this again within himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. And even if I boast somewhat further about our authority, which the Lord gave for the building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be put to shame. For I do not wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when absent, such persons we are also indeed when present. For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves, but when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere which God apportioned to us as a measure to reach even as far as you. For we are not overextending ourselves, as if we did not reach to you, for we were the first to come even as, free, as far as you in the gospel of Christ, not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other men's labors, but with the hope that as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere enlarged even more by you. So as to preach this gospel even to the regions beyond you and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another, but he who boasts, boasts is to boast in the Lord. For it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. I mean, again, Paul is quoting them back to them, right? He's taking portions of their letter that were not flattering toward Paul and reminding them of what they said, perhaps when he was present, and saying, no, it's wrong. It's wrong. Then 11. I mean, 11 just even goes further. Uh, Verse 1, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness. But indeed, you are bearing with me. Right? What pastor would ever say, you know, what's coming next is going to be a little foolishness? Just accept it. 
verses 7 and 8, or did I commit a sin in humbling myself? Did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preached the gospel of God to you without charge, I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. Now, did he rob other churches? No, but he's saying he did. He's saying he robbed other churches to serve them, to make the point hit them hard. And then the next section, um, 16 to 21, again, I say, let no one think me foolish, but if you do, receive me even as foolish, so that I may boast a little. What I am saying, I am not saying as the Lord would, but as in foolishness, in this confidence of boasting. Since many boast according to the flesh, I will boast also. What? Since many boast according to the flesh, I'm, get ready, I'll do it too. For you, being so wise, tolerate the foolish gladly. For you tolerate it if anyone enslaves you, if anyone devours you, anyone takes advantage of you, anyone exalts himself, anyone hits you in the face. To my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison. I mean, this is, this is sarcasm, deep sarcasm. You tolerate if anybody hits you in the face. I mean, what if somebody said that to you? Here's a man, he tolerates people hitting him in the face. You would say that's not much of a man. Right? And then Paul says, to my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison. Verse 11, I have become foolish. You yourselves compelled me. Actually, I should have been commended by you, for in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a nobody. Okay, that's manipulation. That is clearly manipulation. He's, he's saying... I'm an apostle, and then in the next breath, he's saying, I'm a nobody, right? You should have tolerated me. I'm not inferior to the apostles, but I'm a nobody. 15 to 17, I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls if I love you more. Am I to be loved less? Be that as it may, I did not burden you myself, nevertheless, crafty fellow that I am. I took you in by deceit. Certainly I have not taken advantage of you through any of those whom I have sent to you, have I? I mean, he's, oh, that's manipulation. The sarcasm, the ad hominem, the emotionalism, the words, all inspired by the Holy Spirit. All of them. And so I wonder how the Apostle Paul would have approached the situation here in Trinity. Would he have kept himself distant from the congregation in order to have a disinterested neutrality in their decision to leave the denomination and join another? Or would he be pulling his hair out, speaking all these crazy words about being foolish and his love for us and our cool love toward him? So here's what I want to say to you, dear brothers and sisters. I've served this body for the past eight years, devoting myself in a way that I believe is praiseworthy. I have sinned. I've had to make apologies before the congregation, not once, not twice, but I think three times. I've had to confess my weaknesses and anxieties, but I've sought to faithfully preach the Word of God in season and out of season. I've baptized your children which has been my favorite thing. I've prayed with you and for you. 
I have exhorted you to follow the Lord. I've taught countless Bible lessons. I have had to exercise church discipline in certain sections. I have suffered gossip. I have suffered slander. My wife has suffered slander and my slander. Right? I've lost sleep many a night as I concerned myself about this church. I've shared my mentors and my friends with you. I've fought at presbyteries. I've fought at general assemblies. I've borne the reproach that comes from doing that. So bear with my foolishness just a moment longer. Right? I've tried to be an example of faithfulness to Christ at times doing better than at other times. I've received your confessions of sin. I have encouraged your repentance. I've talked to you through your family issues. I've counseled you for your marriages and I've officiated at your weddings. All these things that we've, we've experienced together as a church over the past eight years. And how is it that I am worried that you will not follow me in the session as we call you to something new? How can that be? How could that be? I fully admit that that could be because I have not loved you as I should have. I fully admit that. Right? That I have been selfish, that I have not pursued each of you as I should have, that I have not uh, grieved with those who are grieving and rejoiced with those who are rejoicing, that I've only pastored you from the pulpit, not in, in our everyday lives, across tables and in homes. And, and, and how is it that these elders, Michael and David and Ryan and Chuck, who have loved you in ways you don't even know, concern themselves with whether or not you will follow them at this point? So I say along with the Apostle Paul, our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. You're not restrained by us, but you're restrained in your own affections. Now in like exchange, I speak as to children, open wide to us. Open wide. And perhaps this is the most important point I will make. That kind of an emotional appeal is loving. It's love. I've been told in this whole process, I've been told that I should have approached this issue of whether or not the church leaves by being neutral and uninterested. Neutral and uninterested. Can you imagine if a mother or father acted that way when a child was making a decision that could lead to his ruin? Right? A child is walking toward a train track and doesn't see or hear that there's a train coming and his father observes it happening. And instead of lunging toward his son and embracing him and, and, and speaking to him, yelling for him to stop doing whatever he can, and he just coolly, coolly exclaims, the mass of the train is larger than your mass. Momentum may affect your future. Newton's laws of thermodynamics. Cool. Disinterested. Right? Disinterested neutrality would lead to the death of that son. I'm not disinterested in this decision. I am your father. 
I am not disinterested in this decision. I think there's a right decision and a wrong decision. Right? And it's been recommended to you. And I think to go one way is to approach the train. I am not disinterested in the decision that is being made to leave the PCA. I'm like a father who sees that child in danger. How is it that fruit of my preaching and teaching would lead to a point where this church would remain unconvinced of the waywardness of the PCA. I just don't believe that's true. I don't believe it could be true. How is it that a father, that I as a father to this flock would remain uninterested in a decision that could lead to bondage? Right? There's a real danger in staying in the PCA. We have made that clear through our preaching, through our teaching, our congregational meetings, And we've only given you about 10% of what we know. We have opened ourselves up to being rejected in in this decision. We are so serious about warning you to stop walking toward the tracks. We've opened ourselves up to this decision. The session is convinced of the danger of staying and the blessings of entering Evangel Presbytery. Will you follow us as we follow Christ? Will you accept from us what we believe will be good for your soul? So love us by following us. Let me speak a little foolishness. Love us by following us. Yes, we take responsibility. Let the responsibility fall on us for making this recommendation. Right? We know that in this decision that we have recommended that we... Continue in our calling as men who will give an account. This is one of the decisions we'll give an account for. Right? The decision may be yours, but we have responsibility for it. Does this scripture have any bearing on today's decision? Obey your leaders and submit to them. Or is that me practicing a little foolishness? Is that me sort of throwing the trump card out in the, in the first round or whatever? There's a first round of a card game that you can trump. Um, our, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy. With joy. We're going to be happy if you follow us. And we're going to be hunkering down into prayer and getting to work and forming a denomination that is going to require a lot of work. There's fearful things that, do, that, that come along with this as well, right? But let, this, let them do this with joy and not with grief. For this would be unprofitable for you. It'll be unprofitable for you. Does this sermon seem to you to be manipulation and fill you with anger? Does it? Or are you willing to understand it to be a father simply pleading for our love for one another to increase. Right? Dear brothers and sisters, I know my sin has caused you to doubt my love for you. But let me at least state it now and afterwards prove it to you through my attempt to excel still more. Right? I love this church. I love the members of this church. I love the children of this church. I love especially the ones I've been able to baptize. No, I love them all. I love the way God has worked in our body. I love 
the answered prayers that we have seen over the years. I mean, it's mind-boggling how many answered prayers. I love the work we've done together. I love the seriousness with which you approach our holy God. I love that. I love this church. I love this church. The elders have opened up a gate into a new pasture, and we, we are calling the sheep to follow those elders into that pasture. Some sheep have chosen other pastures. May God bless them with elders who, who love them and care for them. Um, we call you, dear brothers and sisters, to follow us as we follow Christ through that open gate. That's what we do. Your fathers are calling to you as children, as to children. We're not disinterested and neutral. We are fathers, and our desire is to have our children's hearts. That's all I have. That's all I have. And that's the last I'll say on this topic before we go to a vote after, praise God, after we come to the Lord's table, which is what all of this is about, right? Feasting on the body and blood of our Savior and, and meditating on the salvation wrought in Him 